This is episode number 89 with Chris Gillibo. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. up everyone thanks so much for hanging out with me today on the school of greatness podcast i've got a friend on today his name is mr chris gillibo and he is a really interesting guy actually if you don't know who chris is i'm just going to share a few interesting facts uh one is that he's visited every country in the world so 193 countries he's been to and he's done it through travel hacking, which he talks about on his blog over at chrisgillibo.com. He also hosts the World Domination Summit, which is in Portland every summer. And I think this recent year had you know, like 5,000 people or something crazy like that. It's a huge event. Lots of inspiring people come to that. He writes a number of books, including one called The $100 Startup. And the one that we're talking about today, which is called The Happiness of Pursuit, Finding the Quest That Will Bring Purpose to Your Life. Now, I'm a big believer in purpose, and my, my purpose, my mission is to serve 100 million people, to support them in discovering how to make a living around what they are most passionate about, because I believe that's what's going to actually create deeper and more meaningful relationships. That's what's going to um, create healthy bodies. That's what people are going to feel good. They're going to want to work out more when they're doing what they love and they're making money doing what they love. Uh, they're going to be deeper relationships. They're going to be uh, less cancer, less stress, less heart attacks, all these diseases. There's going to be less of them because people are going to be fulfilled. They're going to be happy because they feel like they have meaning making money around doing what they love. Imagine if you could do what you love, hang out with the people you love, do the activities you loved all day long and get paid to do it. That's what I'm up to. I'm up to teaching people how to do that. So we're here to talk about the quest and finding that quest that will bring you purpose to your life. So if you're trying to find that right now, you're in the right place. And I'm super excited to introduce to you to Mr. Chris Gillibo right now. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack, head to Amazon and use promo code 20PureLeaf. That's promo code 20PureLeaf for 20% off. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, quick math. 
The less your business depends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep, obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash greatness. netsuite.com slash greatness. Again, head to netsuite.com slash greatness. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. I'm super pumped today. I've got Mr. Chris Gillibo on. What's up, Chris? Hey, man. How you doing? I am doing well. And uh, we, we met, I think it was probably three years ago, actually, with uh, Jonathan Fields introduced us in New York City. And uh, I've been following you ever since and was following you before then. And you're in the middle of your, your quest at this time, which was uh, to, to visit every country in the world, correct? That's right. And do you remember what... Uh, how many countries you'd visited at that time? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, three years ago, three years ago, I was kind of on that final third. Mm. So maybe about 140, 150 countries or so. There's, 100, there's 193 countries in total. Um, and then, you know, I did it over about 10 or 11 years. So I was probably in that, in that final batch approaching some of the harder countries when we first met. Mm. The harder countries meaning... Not as fun to be in or hard to travel to? What does that mean? Yeah, not necessarily not as fun, just um, a little bit more problematic or difficult to get to, um, challenging in terms of the, the flight logistics, challenging in, in terms of the visa permissions, you know, things like that. There's a, there's a lot of countries in, in Africa, many of which are, are great and wonderful. There's also some that are run by some pretty corrupt governments mm. that aren't super excited about letting foreigners in. It's not just Africa. There's other places as well. Uh, and so that can be an adventure on itself. So it's, it can still be fun, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a challenge for some of them. Interesting. Yeah. I'm actually going to Ghana next month for the first oh, time. Great. Well, Africa. Ghana is one of the good countries. Really? So you'll, you'll okay. have a great time. <laughs> I'm just worried. I had to get my shots, you know, to go to get the visa and get the, uh, uh, for the passport or whatever. And I got like three different shots mm-hmm. and I got the flu like three days later. Oh was, yeah, because your miserable. immune system is compromised or whatever. Well, now you'll probably be good for like ten years or something with that's those shots. So that's that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I just don't want to get. I'm mosquitoes love me, so the whole malaria okay. thing is kind of like scary to me. So I'm glad sure. I. Have them. <laughs> um. So you got a new book out. Yep. It's called the the happiness of pursuit, and it's finding the quest that will bring purpose to your life. And I believe this book has it all. I really like this book, and I'm excited about talking about this because you talk about the quest and this is this is kind of encompassing your story about your quest for all these different countries but then also a lot of different stories from other people on their own quest now my question is where did you first what made you want to go on this quest of going to see every country Mm. yeah so for me I, i initially loved traveling 
I just kind of loved being out in the world. And I, I actually lived in, in Ghana and Liberia and Sierra Leone for really? several, several years. Yeah, from 2002 to 2006, I lived in West Africa. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was volunteering for a medical charity there. And that was just a great experience. I kind of just transformed my life and gave me a new perspective and lots of different things. And I, I started traveling as part of that process um, just around the region and then in Southern Africa and then a bit in Europe as well. So I always liked traveling, but I'd also always been a goal setter. Mm. I always kind of liked, you know, like putting a target to something or I liked, you know, making lists of my projects and tasks. I really liked, you know, making lists and crossing things off. That's how I've always kind of been motivated. And so I, at some point I, I kind of had this idea like, okay, traveling is fun, but what if I could create some structure to it? And I initially had a goal of going to a hundred countries. I thought this would be kind of fun to do this like at some point in my life. And then uh, I started getting closer to that. Like I'd gone from 50 to like 75 or so. And, and then I said, well, for a real challenge, you know, um, let's, let's try to go to every country in the world. And so that, that actually like that, you know, speaking of transformation, that also transformed <laughs> a bunch of stuff for me because like just having structure to the, to the travel goal made so much more sense. And then mm -hmm. I was like, I love the travel, but I also love the quest aspect. Interesting. Interesting. And how long did it take you to do the, once you decided to go on the quest, cause you, I guess you'd visited a bunch of countries before then, but right. how long did it take? Yeah, I had been to like, yeah, like you said, between 50 and 75 countries or so. So the whole thing I say is about 10 years, but probably six years. Like once I formalized it and said, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to actually try to go to all of them. And, and I didn't go back and go to the other 50, you know, I, I wasn't starting right. over. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to count whatever I've done so far. <laughs> and how many, um, how many days, were you traveling in those six years, I guess, or how many days per year on average? Mm, maybe about a hundred days on average per year. Okay. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't full time, um, but it was pretty frequent. I mean, sometimes it was maybe half the time, but then there would be breaks to do other things. And then I kind of, you know, began a whole new career as part of this, which wasn't the intention at all in, in the beginning. Uh, and so that ended up kind of taking some, some different time and was that, the, was that the travel hacking business? Uh, the travel hacking business. It's just starting writing a blog. Like I didn't have a blog in the beginning. I was right. just kind of doing my own thing. And, and then I started writing about it. And then community and books and all that stuff kind of came later. So it wasn't like a strategic business plan, you know, to go to every country in the world. Right. Uh, it was a personal mission. And then there ended up being some, some business goals, you know, along with it. Yeah. And for those that don't know Chris or haven't, uh, you know, heard about his books and his, his website and the world domination summit. What I think had what, like a thousand people at this year or, Oh, uh, we have about three, between three and 4,000. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember the first year was like 500 and then it was a yeah. thousand. Now it's 4,000 and you had like the large, I think you, I, I still have a band. So hopefully one day I can come and I'd yeah, love, I would love to have you there. Love to come. And, um, I think you, I saw online that like you guys we're going for the world record of the biggest yoga uh, <laughs> session or something like that. Is that did that happen? Yeah, yeah. So uh, last year, actually, we set our first Guinness World Record uh, for the, the longest human chain formed on the water. So we had about 500 people like on the Willamette River, like forming this human chain, huh. like linking hands, you know, and we got great video of that. Um, and so we decided like once you do something once, it's a tradition, right? right. So this year we're like, well, we need a new world record. And uh, it's kind of funny because people started asking like in the fall, like, hey, what's the world record next year? And we're like, uh, you know, we didn't know that there was going to be an annual thing. We thought it was just <laughs> once. But, but yeah, so everybody wanted one. So this year, yeah, we set um, the, the world record for the longest yoga chain. Um, so that was in Pioneer Courthouse Square, which is the main like downtown area of, of Portland, Oregon. And um, people did a series of, of poses, you know, like in sequence, 
Um, it took up the whole area. We got some great footage of that too. So that was also fun. And that was, uh, I think we had more than 800 people for that. Amazing. That was fun. What was it? What happened to the other 3000 people? Why didn't they do it? Oh, they didn't. I don't know. They just, they just, <laughs> they were like, uh, that's it. You know, like I want to come to the thing, but I don't want to set a real record. So, <laughs> so obviously, funny. obviously they're not allowed to come back next year. <laughs> nice. So you're married, right? I am. Now, did your wife go with you on this quest or was she more of a so- supporter from the sidelines? Uh, she's a traveler herself. You know, she's been to more than 50 countries of her own. Um, but most of the quest was just me. Most mm. of the quest was, you know, my own kind of thing. And, and she was with me on some of these countries. And, and we lived together when we were in Africa. We were married then. Wow. Uh, and the quest kind of began afterwards. So she, she was super supportive. Mm. Okay. And in the book, you have lots of stories from different individuals about their quest and some really inspiring stories. Uh, I remember one at the end with Phoebe, which mm-hmm. is like a tearjerker. I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but where did you find the people that you featured in this book? So I, I wrote a previous book called The $100 Startup, and I used a, a case study model for that. And the whole, the whole you know, perspective with that book was, okay, I want to tell people like how I've kind of created my own freedom business or whatever, but I don't want to just talk about myself. You know, because one, that's boring, and then two, not everybody can relate to one individual. So I really wanted to focus on a research process of of going out and and studying, you know, how people had built their businesses or achieved their freedom or whatever. And so it was kind of like from from that model, I applied it for the new book, The Happiness of Pursuit. And I, I looked for people, you know, all over the world who had undertaken quests. And it was a little bit of a different process this time because if you look for people who started a business without spending a lot of money, mm. it's, it's a pretty clear and specific thing. You know, and there are a lot of people who've done that in different ways. Whereas when you talk about quests, it's kind of like, well, what is a quest? So what does yeah. that mean? And, you know, and as you said, how do you find them? So I guess I, I began with people in my community. I began with people that I knew or I met on my travels. You know, it is a pr- pretty broad community now sure. um, with WDS, with the folks coming. They tend to be really adventure minded. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of folks doing different interesting thing. So I start with that, but then I don't, again, I don't want to be too insular and just, you know, look at my own folks or my own readers. Um, sure. So we did a pretty broad call to action. You know, it was totally publicized. Um, lots of other blogs were writing about it. Some mainstream media was writing about it just to kind of, and we get a lot of stories back and some, right. many of them we can't use and that's fine, but the whole approach is gather a lot of, of interesting data and then see what, what the most interesting and compelling and diverse stories are. Sure, sure. So, so what is a quest then? Can you define it? Yeah, a quest is, is, uh, is a long-term mission or goal or pursuit. Um, it, it does have an end. You know, a quest has a beginning and an end. Um, like we're all on a life journey. We're all doing lots of different stuff. But a quest is something that does have a destination in mind. Uh, even though it has a destination in mind, it is very much about the process. There's lots of incremental steps along the way. Um, you don't re- usually, you know, begin a quest, you know, one day and then finish it the next day. There's usually some amount of sacrifice or challenge mm-hmm. in it. Um, there's an element of risk to it. Mm-hmm. And then um, usually what happens is it, it, more often than not, um, the, the quester or the person pers- pursuing the quest has changed, you know, in some fashion along the way. You're usually not the same person at the end as you were in the beginning. Interesting. Okay. So there's some type of transformation. Yeah, and sometimes you know what that transformation might be in the beginning, and other times you don't. Um, and that's that's part of embracing the uncertainty of a quest. Or even if if uh, some of the listeners don't relate to the word quest, you know, I I do believe that that all of us can embrace this value of adventure and mm-hmm. and maybe creating some structure around that value of adventure. Gotcha. Okay. So 
you know, some might say, well, just traveling to all these different countries, it sounds just like a hobby, something you mm. like to do. But it, there's, <laughs> there's a distinction between, a uh, difference between hobby and quest, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I think like a hobby, yeah, something you like to do. I mean, you like to travel. I mean, for me, maybe, tra- maybe travel was initially a hobby. It was something I like to do. But then I kind of created that focus or that structure around it. Uh, again, it's not something that everyone can relate to, uh, which is why, like for the book and for the study, I didn't want to just look at travel quests. You know, and that is my inclination. Since I'm a traveler, I, like I naturally kind of gravitate towards stories of you know, there's a guy who walked across America, you know, over seven and a half months. Uh, there was a young woman who who sailed around the world, who kind of circumnavigated the globe in a small sailboat, sailboat, uh, and she was the youngest person to ever do that. So I, I tend to like things like that, but I also wanted to focus on lots of different things. So there's some humanitarian quests, sure. uh, there's some academic quests, some quests in the arts. You know, people just kind of pursuing something, I guess it's kind of pursuing something to the exclusion of, of everything else, you know, or maybe right. not everything else, but you are making trade-offs and choices, you know, to pursue that dream, you know, and you, you are saying no to some things in order to, to pursue sure. this thing. That, yeah. that There's a sacrifice. Yeah, definitely. There's a sacrifice. Yeah. You, t- I, I, you know, I read the story about the, the man who runs over 250 marathons. I was just like, I can't, I've even run one, you know, it's like yeah. incredible. I know. I can't even, I can't relate to that either. You know, <laughs> I have run one marathon, but like, yeah, that's totally different than uh, 250. So uh, it's kind of funny, interesting because I had a lot of stories in the, like that in the first draft of the book and we did keep many of them. Um, but I got some feedback from my editor and he said like, that, he's like, most people are not going to be able to, to relate to this at all. Right. He's like, you exactly. know, they're going to read the story of the dude who ran 250 marathons and be like, that's awesome. Like, good for that dude. I could never do that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so I tried as well to say like, Hey, here, most of these stories are actually ordinary people, you know, who have just chosen to do something remarkable. Like they have been courageous. They have been brave. Um, but they're doing something that you could do too, you know, and, and, and the central message of the book and the whole message I'm trying to put forward is not just a, a sociological study. It's I'm, I'm trying to actually say like a quest can improve your life. You yeah. know, a quest can bring purpose and meaning to your life too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I had a, you know, we had a little uh, confusion on how I was going to get the book from your, pub- your publisher. <laughs> and so I got two copies actually on the same day. I, I gave one to my assistant and said, I want you to dive into this and uh, let me know what you think. Uh-huh. And she was like, it really got me excited because She's, she lives a great life, but she didn't have, she wasn't on a quest mm. and she really got excited, you know, not thinking like, I'm going to go run 200 marathons or I'm going to do some crazy adventurous thing. But she was like, I think I, I feels like I want to go sew a hat for every person that mm. I know. And I want to like do something craftsy and like get into this like goal setting quest to this journey where I create something for people, That's you know, great. something like that, where it's not like this you know, I'm going to run across the world or, or say on a sailboat type of adventure, but it's a different type of quest that really speaks to her. Mm. And that's why I think that's it's great. really cool because it gives people a deeper sense of purpose, a deeper sense of meaning. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm always on a quest, you know, I'm, <laughs> right now I'm on the quest to make it to the Olympics. Right. Right. That's and, fantastic. You know, there's definitely been sacrifice. There's been, you know, I moved states twice i travel mm-hmm. all over the world i invest a lot of my own money in the training mm-hmm. yep. I, I don't go to business events so that i can be you know with my teammates and, right. and you know all these different things and there's definitely been injuries where i've been like mm-hmm. this sucks and do i want to keep going <laughs> right totally so i exactly. uh, i get it but um what i love about the book uh you know it's not just a bunch of cool stories about people which it has um about other people's quests and adventures but it really helps evoke people 
getting figuring out what their own quest is, what calls them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm super pumped that it did for my assistant, Sarah. That's great. So what are one one question, can anyone take on a quest? Hmm. Well, first, that's a great story about Sarah. Thanks for, for sharing that. Yeah. So my, my best to her. You know, I, I feel like a lot of people are, are coming to this message. And again, it's not just my message, but a message of, of improving your life through some specific action. I think a lot of them come to it out of a sense of, of discontent or dissatisfaction. Mm. And it's not to say that they have a terrible life. Like you said, like Sarah's got a great life but yet she still wants more, yep. you know? And I, I think probably most of the people listening to this podcast are in the same place where they want to improve their lives. That's why they listen to the school of greatness. You yeah. know, they, they want it, they want more, they want to challenge themselves. And, and so that's what this is about. It's, it's about, you know, just creating greater happiness and not just happiness, but meaning and purpose, um, by pursuing a quest. So can anyone do it? Well, of course, you know, it's not to say that everyone should, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of saying like you should do this. Yeah. Uh, but I can just say like from my life, like, when I thought about doing this, like way back, you know, I was intimidated by it. I was, I was a little bit afraid of it in some ways, but I also couldn't stop thinking about it, you know? And I knew like, if I never did it, then I would, I would regret it. Mm. You know, if I never attempted it, yes. then uh, I would always have that in the back of my mind, right? Yeah, like what maybe if? I could have done that, right? And maybe you felt the same thing about, you know, going for the Olympics, exactly. you know? It's like, it may work, it may not. And that's exactly how I felt about the, the going to every country. Like I could get stopped along the way. That would suck. But that would be better than, you know, looking back, you know, 10 years and saying, like, I had this idea, never did anything about it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what are some questions you ask the reader so they can start thinking about their own quest? What excites you? What motivates you? Uh, is there something that you like to do that no one else understands? That's actually a pretty common thing in quests. Huh. A, lot of, a lot of things that people really kind of pursue or go all out in. You know, it, it's something that they really love and maybe the passion is kind of infectious. Like we, we can watch it from the outside and we're like, that's pretty crazy, but, but we didn't, wouldn't necessarily want to do it ourselves, you know, whether it's knitting the 10,000 hats, you know, or the guys with the marathons or running across America or, or whatever. Um, is there something that, that you're really into that nobody else is? Um, if that line of thinking isn't helpful, maybe also think about uh, what bothers you, yes. what troubles you. Right. Like what there's all these problems in the world. Like which is the one that that really troubles you the most and what can you do something? You know, what 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 can you kind of take on maybe as part of your challenge and you're pursuing your own big dream, but you're also making the world a better place at the same time. A lot of people kind of find their answer in that line of thinking. I I was going to ask about that question because, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, what are you passionate about? What excites you? But I like the question, what bothers you? And that's what I would ask you about, because. You know, if there's something that's kind of nagging you in the back of your your head constantly, or your your body feels this like nagginess of something that bothers you, then I feel like that's a great mm-hmm. uh, reason to go towards the quest at sure. that moment too. So very it's a cool. stirring. It's a stirring that you have. Maybe it's even a calling or something. You know, and uh, you're you're the one who's qualified to do something about it, right? If you're the one who's most bothered by it, you know, I, I really believe you're qualified to do something about it. Right. Right. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy 
place to start, and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there to too. in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What were one or two of the most outrageous stories you heard in this search? Maybe mm. that you used or maybe that you didn't use. Outrageous stories. Okay, that's interesting. Um, we talked about, you know, the 250 marathon guy who ran a marathon every single day for a year, just about. Um, there's also the story of, of John Francis, um, who was bothered by something. Um, he was an environmentalist and he was really troubled by this oil spill in the San Francisco Bay. And he decided to stop using motorized transport. And he just decided, I'm going to stop using cars. I feel like I am contributing to this problem in some ways. So I'm going to stop. So he did that for a little while. And then he realized he was only going like halfway there because he would meet people and he would explain that he, like he felt like they, like they felt like he was judging them, you know, and he was kind of being judgmental about this. And, and so he decided to provide an even better life example and he stopped speaking. And so he took a vow of silence that lasted for more than 17 years. Wow. Uh, so for more than 17 years, you know, he didn't speak and he didn't use motorized transport. He walked all across America. He actually earned a master's degree and a PhD without speaking. Oh, my gosh. You know, as this whole, whole protest ended up, you know, changing a lot of policy, um, bringing a lot of people on board for this uh, environmental crusade that he had. So that's a pretty outrageous story. It's also maybe a little bit unrelatable as well. Yeah. Because nobody wants to take a vow of silence, right? Jeez. So if I could give you one more story, yeah, you know, maybe it's not maybe it's not super outrageous, but uh, again, interesting and, and relatable. I like the story of Sasha Martin, who is from Oklahoma, and she grew up overseas. Um, she had a family that kind of lived in Europe in different places, but then relocated to Oklahoma. She married this guy and had a kid, and wasn't able to travel. 
but she did want to kind of bring her family up with an international perspective. And so she had a degree in culinary arts and she thought, well, I can't visit every country in the world. Um, but she decided to cook a meal from mm, every country yeah. in the world. And she did it like with a full on production. You know, it was like every Friday night, like she would be researching throughout the week. She would be getting recipes. You know, she would post a photo of the flag and play music from that country. So it became like this whole thing that involved her family. Other people started getting interested in it. She, she posted the recipes online. People started following. I really, really loved that project because, again, you know, she did this from her home mm. in Oklahoma. It brought a lot of meaning and transformation to her life. And then other people started caring about it as well. I like that one a lot. Yeah, that was a really cool story. Um, what is the difference of intellectual awareness of mortality and emotional awareness of mortality? This was something that I noticed as I talked with all these different people who'd done these crazy projects. I noticed that they had a few things in common, some of which I didn't really expect going in. And this awareness of mortality uh, was something that a lot of these people doing these projects had. And when I talk about the difference between intellectual awareness and emotional awareness, I guess the intellectual awareness is something that all of us have. We know that everybody dies. We know that life is short. We know that, you know, we're here for a while and then we're gone. And, mm -hmm. you know, what happens after that is up for debate. But uh, the emotional awareness is more personal. It's more, okay, not just everybody dies, but someday I will die. Mm. You know, my days are numbered. And, you know, every day gets closer to the end. And it's not meant to sound, you know, terrifying or bad or something. But a lot of the people I talked to just were kind of focused on this point of urgency, mm. uh, focused on this, this reality of like, hey, I've got this limited time here. don't even know exactly how long it is, right? And how can I, you know, put that to best use? And, and that's why they kind of chose to do things like Phoebe uh, went, wanted to see more birds, you know, than anyone else uh, in the world and kind of structured her whole life around that for decades. And she received a terminal diagnosis of cancer, uh, which, which fortunately was inaccurate, and she was able to live for many years after that. But when she received that diagnosis, you know, the first thing she thought was, oh, no, there's so many more things I still want to do. Mm. So a lot of people were just driven by this urgency of, uh, you know, I want to really make my life count. Yeah. In which way do questers see mortality then? I think they, they see it as um, something to be mindful of. Yeah. You know, not necessarily something to be afraid of or but something to be aware of, something to be, you know, maybe maybe just kind of not focused on all the time, but just kind of there in the back of the mind. Right, right. How or what do people have um, in common who go on personal quests? Some of the things that we've talked about, um, you know, they are you know, passionate or excited about something or bothered by something. Um, they do tend to be pretty focused, you know, on this thing. Early in the interview, I, I mentioned making lists. You know, I've always I've always been a list maker, and I, w I was you know pleasantly surprised to see that a lot of the people I talked to were also list makers. They really liked <laughs> kind of you know documenting their progress. You know, they they liked kind of like making notes and being able to see like okay, today I did this, and then the next day I did this, and here's how I'm, I'm how you know far along I'm getting in my goal. Um, those are the first few things I think of. Mm. And how important is belief? I think belief is, is important and you, you have to believe in the project or the quest or whatever it is you want to do, uh, even if no one else does, right? right. So sometimes you know, like a lot of people we talk to experienced their own personal doubt. Maybe they experienced naysayers. Uh, in some cases, their friends and family were supportive of them. Uh, in other cases, they weren't. 
you know, in some cases, yeah. friends and family were downright negative. Um, and that's a whole like issue of its own. But I, I think, you know, as long as they believed in it, that was the that was the most important thing. Like they certainly needed support in some fashion. Sure. Uh, sure. No doubt. Um, but the kind of the primary thing is you have to believe in this, uh, even if no one else does. Yeah. I mean, obviously, a quest a lot of the times is probably doing something that people aren't going to understand why you're doing it. And mm-hmm. it sounds like. And so you mentioned that there, you know, people are going to judge you and have judgments on the quest. And you mentioned that people will say one of two things. If it's successful, they'll say you mm-hmm. were brave, courageous, confident. Right. If it failed, then you'll say you're, they'll say you were stupid, it was risky, you're naive and arrogant. Right. So how do people deal with, or how did you deal with judgments of people, um, you know, supportive or negative, I guess, along your journey? Yeah. I thought about that that a lot as I was, you know, undertaking the quest, especially when I was going places like Iran or Eritrea, mm. where I was deported, or Pakistan, where I like arrived without a visa, and and like I was okay. You like, you know, some bad things happened to me along the way. I was okay, but uh, you know, there was a chance that that something might not have been okay, and I, I like it really not okay. And I realized, you know, <laughs> like if if something really goes wrong. There are going to be a lot of people who just say, he's so stupid, right? You know, he's just crazy, yeah, right. yeah. crazy to take on that. Re- like, what was he thinking? Like, going to these places, like, for no good reason, you know? I realized that. And then, of course, like, I, you know, I finished, everything's okay. And they're like, wow, that's so brave, you know? So the judgment is always applied, you know, afterwards. So, yeah. you know, I guess I guess you just try to hold it all lightly. You try to hold, like, the praise and the criticism at a, at a mm. little bit of a distance, mm. you know? And, and really focus on what are the core motivations, like, you know, for me, I thought a lot of times, like, why am I doing this? Like, I, I really need to be clear on why I'm doing this. And if I'm doing this for any other reason other than the, the personal challenge that it invokes in me and, and, and how I feel when I think about, you know, taking on this challenge and going to every country, if I'm doing it for any other reason, that's really dangerous. Mm. You know, it's really unhealthy, I think. You mean if it's like, oh, I want to do this to make money or to start a business sort of yeah, like or, praise or ego? Yeah, to, yeah, exactly. Praise or ego would probably be the biggest thing. Like, sure. you know, there's, there's people watching me, so I got to do this. You know, I just right. feel like that's, that's a little bit dangerous, you know. Interesting. Yeah. Um, you talked about goals. Mm-hmm. How important is it to have sub goals in a quest? Cause you talk about like kind of breaking down, uh, you know, a whole continent and countries inside of the countries and mm-hmm. you know, all these different things. How important are the sub goals in a quest? Because 250 marathons, I'm like, how do you, <laughs> even, how you even imagine and fathom how long that will take you? Sure, sure, sure. So, so any good quest involves challenge or sacrifice, as we mentioned. And, you know, like if your if your quest is to like go to the corner store and get coffee or something, it's not really a quest, you know. And <laughs> right. it, you know, if it's going to take years or whatever the time period is, then it's extremely helpful to have some milestones along the way, so, you know. So in my case, it was like okay, every country in the world, 193 countries. Well, you know, those countries can be divided into region. You know, they can be divided numerically. Like the milestone is the first 100 countries. Like I remember going to Sri Lanka and walking on the beach at midnight there. I, I was super jet lagged, but I was also really excited because I was like, this is 100. Like this is a huge wow. milestone. And I feel like those stepping stones um, just give you confidence as you sure. go along. You know, if, if you can divide things, uh, you know, into those sub goals or sub processes, it just kind of helps you like, you know, keep that momentum yeah. uh, as you, as you move along. There's, there's one uh, other story that, that, you know, when I was first starting, this guy posted this negative comment for me and he, he was like, well, it just takes enough time and money, you know, to go to every country in the world, not a huge deal, you know? And at first I was really offended, you know, like you are when you get a negative comment, I was like, Oh, right. I can't believe this guy. Like it's, it's, it's one person out of thousands. Who, I know. <laughs> like, like what, what a jerk or whatever. Right. But then I actually kind of like, okay, like, so forget that guy. Who cares about that guy? But let's think about the comment, um, time and money. 
actually is kind of helpful, you know, to break things down and, and to look and see, okay, what is involved? You know, what, what is involved? How much time will this take? You know, what is the financial cost? And what are the other costs? There's probably some uncertain costs. There's probably some other things I haven't considered. But actually thinking logically really helped me a lot as I, as I worked through the journey. Mm, interesting. And what, what let's just talk about the um, criteria for you for being in a country. Was it you had to be there for 24 hours? You had to see a landmark, you had to speak to someone and have a meal. What was the criteria? I didn't have a ton of specific criteria. I didn't count uh, layovers or airport stops. Like actually I had to be in the country and, yeah. and in most cases I'm staying at least a few days. Uh, I mean, as I mentioned, I also lived in West Africa for years. I, I lived in the Philippines for two years when I was younger. Um, you know, some countries I'd been to for several months or several weeks. Uh, but then there's also a number of places that I went to for a short period of time, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of days. And, and I'm OK with that. Sure. You know, it's, it's fine. I mean, for me, I wasn't the goal wasn't trying to be an expert on all 193 countries. Right. You know, in the world. Um, gotcha. So I'm, I'm much more of a generalist. Gotcha. And do you speak any other languages? Not very well. <laughs> you know, really not well. I mean, I, I speak conversational French from, from having lived in Africa and um, Spanish when I have to, but uh, I'm really not not skilled in that area. You can get around but if you need to. Yeah. If I need to, yeah. But and I feel like that's a, that's a valid criticism, maybe some of my my travel. But I also feel like I would say, well, okay, you know, sure, I should be better at that. I agree. But I would also say, like, you, you shouldn't let anything hold you back. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was able to do this without without that skill. Yeah. You know, so and that wasn't your goal to learn a hundred new countries, uh, hundred new languages, or whatever. Like, uh, there's who's the guy who does that? Yeah, there's a few ben, different guys. It seems like um, Benny something. Yeah, Benny Benny Lewis is one of, one of the guys who's done like I don't know eight or ten languages, probably another language since we since we've started yeah. this podcast. Yeah. Um, it's crazy, um, but yeah, and there's some people that are really into that, so that's great. So, what's the biggest skill that you developed over these six years while traveling? Confidence. Mm. Probably the ability to know that I would be okay, the ability to know that I, I, I would be able to figure anything out, you know, like I, I could, I could make all kinds of mistakes and I actually made more mistakes at the end of the journey than I did in the beginning, which I thought was interesting because in the beginning I was super like careful about, you know, like checking everything in advance and like packing and repacking and like worrying a lot and making sure I had information in multiple <laughs> places. Like those, those things you do when you travel right. and, and toward the end, I just didn't care. You know, Screw it. You know, it's going to be fine. Like if something could go wrong and I'll figure it out. So, wow. so for me, the biggest skill wasn't learning languages or learning something practical. It was maybe just, just that confidence or that ability mm. to, to know I'd be okay. So did that confidence actually create laziness towards the end of the journey or the quest? Perhaps, or? perhaps sure, yeah. Mm. No, that's, a, that's a, also a valid point. Yeah, in some, ways, uh, in some ways, I think I could also say I took parts of it less seriously towards mm. the end. Um, I don't want to say like I phoned it in or I just didn't care or something. That would be an exaggeration, but I do think you know, it was kind of like after the first 160 countries or something, I mean, like the final, you know, 30, it is kind of like, well, today I'm going off to Chad, you know, yeah. not really thinking about that. I'm thinking about my other stuff and I'll right. think about Chad when I get there. Right. You know, but, <laughs> so that maybe that's probably also why it's good that the quest has an end, you know, yeah. because I don't think I would have wanted to keep doing it for 400 countries, you know, if there were 400 countries, let's say, Wow. you know, I think, I think maybe it's good that I had that end in sight. Wow. What was the biggest lesson you learned, uh, I would say confidence would be like a skill. Mm. What would be the biggest lesson you learned about the world and then the biggest lesson you learned about yourself? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. 
I guess, um, you know, start with the obvious is like, I think all of us have our own worldview and that's, that's fine and normal. It's based on our own culture, our own experience, our own upbringing, et cetera. And then, you know, once you start traveling, I mean, one of the beautiful things about traveling, especially if you, if you really go to experience other cultures, you know, if you really do, you know, make an effort to speak with people and go and see what life is like in different religions or just you know, different institutions, you, you kind of just realize like, okay, okay actually, uh, maybe my way is not right or my, my, maybe my way is right for me, but there are other ways, other ways of thinking, other, other ways of life. And, and that's actually really interesting. I, I, I really feel like the, the novice traveler always like, goes out and has some experience and says, wow, like people everywhere are just the same, you know, mm. like people in China, they think just like us or in India. I really don't think that's true. I actually think people really have unique culture and identity around the world. And that's the fun part of it. You know, that's what's that's what's interesting mm. and good. Right. So I guess just kind of a, a general humbling is um, is how I would put it. I would say, like, wow, like life is really different in West Africa. Like you'll mm. see when you go to Ghana. Right. And, and that's great. Like, I'm so glad that life is not the same everywhere around the world. Mm. Interesting. So we're always told to think outside the box or hear this. Think outside the box. But you talk, you talk about getting in the box idea. <laughs> Can you talk about what get in the box idea is? Yeah, getting in the box is about restricting your creativity and restricting your ideas because we all have so many ideas and sometimes that leads to stagnation or to not doing anything. Mm. And too many uh, options means too many no options. decisions. Yeah, exactly. And so I guess for me, part of what's helped in, in the creative process in general, whether it's, it's writing books or something like a quest is, is to restrict those options and to, to kind of, you know, paint some corners around myself and say, okay, here, here is the box, right? Like I, everybody's always saying, as, as you mentioned, like get out of the box, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but for the quest, it's helpful to have these parameters. Here's what a country is. You know, I get questions about this too. Like how many countries are there? I'm like, well, I use the, the UN list, you know, I use the list of United Nations member states. There are other lists out there. There are other places, other geographical places, which are kind of debatable. And like, it's this geopolitical conflict over whether they are a country or not. That's totally fine. But I, I feel like you, you need to have a box. You need to have a parameter. So for me, like that's the parameter I, I chose. And sure. You know, I, I feel like I, I feel like that's just helpful in life is to say, like, here are here are the, the guidelines or the, the rules in which I'm going to live my life or pursue this project. And I'm the one who's making those. Right. That's what you should do for your life. Like no one else is doing this. Right. But right. I feel like if it's if it's self-applied, then it's good. You've got to create that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how many other countries or sort of countries are there on different lists that you haven't visited? Yeah. Um, well, so it depends on the list, you know, the UN list, uh, 193, um, there's other places like Kosovo, which are recognized, you uh -huh. know, by some governments and not by others. Um, Taiwan, you know, is an independent entity in many ways, um, but is not a UN member state, um, Palestine, places like that. I've actually been to most of those, most of those disputed areas. Mm. Um, so if you count maybe 200 ish countries, I've probably been to 198, 199. Wow. Um, where, where have you not been? Uh, I actually, so I mentioned Palestine. I actually have not been to Palestine, so I would love to go there at some point. Uh, Western Sahara is essentially its own state. It has been for decades, um, but it's just not able to gain recognition uh, because of Spain, because of Morocco. It mm. probably never will, at least not for the foreseeable future. Uh, I haven't, I haven't been to Western Sahara. Gotcha. Um, so there's, there's a number of, of places like that. And then there's some broader lists um, for people who really get into this. There, there is like a list called the Traveler Century Club, and that lists a whole lot of islands. It lists like mm. islands uh, that are 
that are essentially they, they they kind of belong politically to some country somewhere, but they're essentially independent because they're so geographically remote. Uh, and I've been to a number of those places, but there there are many more. Mm, Got you. The, uh, there's a great quote in the book that says it's better to be at the bottom of the ladder you want to climb than to be at the top of the one you don't. Mm. Can you speak into that for a moment? Yeah, I think that was uh, from a guy who was a mu- musician. And when he first started uh, his music career, he talked about how excited he was to play a gig when there'd be like five people there or something, you know, <laughs> he's, he's making like 10 bucks or nothing, you know. And he talked about how in many ways, like you could look at that and say like he's, he's unsuccessful or whatever, like this is not much of a start, but he was super excited because he was like, this is what I want to, to do. And this is what I want to be. And I'm willing to start at the bottom. You know, he said, it's better to be at the, the bottom of the ladder and, and climb than to have some job that, that sucks or I mean, not to say that every job sucks. Right. But to be on some, some trajectory that is not what I want to do, even if I'm successful at it, I'd much rather be struggling, you know, working my way up something that I believe in than to be really successful in something I don't. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Nice. Is there ever a time to quit a quest? Sure. I think so. I think, um, you know, I don't think, I don't think the advice of like, just keep going, you know, universally applies. I think, I think it depends on a lot of things. I think maybe it depends on how far along you are. Right. So, you know, for me, the quest was 10 years, you know, how long, how long is the quest uh, for the Olympics? Like how much time have you put into that? Well, it's been shoot, since 2008. Uh, I started, I guess the quest and, uh, so I don't even know what is that, uh, six years so far. Yeah. And, um, the next Olympics is 2016 in Rio. We have have a very small chance of qualifying. So I'm on the Olympic team for the USA, but they only take one country from North and South America. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of countries in South America that are, that are better than us right now. So we'd have to do something incredible to make it, make it possible. But, uh, I'm going to keep going for as long as my body is able to go. Sure. Of course. And, and, uh, it's, it may take another four, eight years. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I guess, uh, you know, so so when I say it depends on like how far along you are, I mean, you know, you have, first of all, you have to, you have to still believe in it. I think, uh, you know, there are plenty of times when you say it sucks, right? There's something about it sucks, but that's different from not believing in it, you know? Sure. And I also focus on that question of regret that we touched on earlier. Like, you know, I think it's always helpful to ask yourself, okay, if I stopped now, would I regret it later? Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're able to honestly answer and say like, actually, no, I don't think I'll re- like, this is something I wanted to do for a while, but now I want to do something different. I don't think I'll regret it later. Then you might as well stop. Right. Why, why kill yourself? You know, if it's not something that you believe in, I guess, you know? Right. And so that's why I think the time frame matters a little bit, because if I felt that way in year one, you know, of the 10 year quest, then I probably should have quit. Right. Okay, because right. Why, why kill myself for 10 years for something I didn't believe in? <laughs> But, you know, if I felt that way in year nine, maybe my advice to myself would be like, just suck it up, you know, yeah. because the end is in sight. You know, exactly. you've, made it, you've made it this far. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to be like the guy who went to like almost, mo- most, almost, almost every country, you know, like doesn't, doesn't sound so good. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, so obviously your, your story took, you know, a decade. A lot of stories took uh, a number of years in the book. So how did you feel when you accomplished it? And is there a sense of sadness or pure excitement uh, at the end? It's complicated. I felt I, I did feel excited and 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 proud and and, but I also felt kind of weird. You know, I, I felt kind of like okay, like now what? You know, because I, I had worked toward that for such a long time, and and this was actually something that was really quite common. Like I feel like I didn't do the greatest job answering that question earlier. A lot of people, as they approached you know the end of their quest, 
um, there was a, you know, kind of a sense of sadness or alienation or kind of like what's next, you know, a little bit of confusion. Mm -hmm. So I experienced a lot of that. It's a complicated thing when you work towards something for a long period of time, you know, and, and then you achieve it. Um, it's great. So I, I think it helps to kind of, you know, decompress and debrief for that a little bit. And then I guess, you know, before too much longer, you got to think, okay, well, what's next? You know, I don't want to live in that identity of something that that's already in the past. Right. You know, I want to, I want to live for the present and build for the future. Mm, yeah. So where was the last country that you visited? The last country was Norway, actually. Mm. And we chose uh, Norway because uh, maybe about 30 countries prior to that, I realized that Norway was the, Norway was the last European country um, that I hadn't been to. It's, it's a very safe and stable country. It's really easy to get to. Uh, I didn't want any uncertainty, like as I approached the end, right. you know, I, I, cause I, the whole goal was to end on my 35th birthday uh -huh. and I had planned it that way for seven years. And so, you know, I didn't want to be like in Sudan or something <laughs> uh, on that birthday. And then also yeah. a bunch of, a bunch of my friends and readers wanted to come along too. And so I didn't want to be responsible for bringing them to a war zone or something, you know? Right. Um, so we, we chose Norway and, and that's where we ended, uh, just last year. So on the last day in Norway mm -hmm. as you're flying home or wherever you're flying mm -hmm. to next, what was coming up for you as you're packing up, getting ready to realize that this is your last flight for this quest heading away from the last country? Yeah, it was weird. It really was weird because yeah, I'm just, I'm just packing my bag. Like I've done like every single day, essentially, you know, for the past 10 years, I've been on the road a hundred, hundred days a year or whatever. And but, uh, you know, you're right. There's, there's no new country coming up, you know, like I'm going home through Hong Kong and yeah, I've been to Hong Kong many times. So that's, that's fun. Um, but they've always, there's always been like something ahead, you know, there's always like, even if I'm going home to, to Portland, Oregon, where I live, there's going to be another country the next month. Uh, so it was, it was just a reflective, reflective time. But I think ultimately, like, hopefully, you know, what I do with my life will be greater than just visiting every country in the world. So I, mm -hmm. I guess so, I, so in some ways I was happy to just say, okay, you know, mission accomplished. What's next? Right. So, so would you say it's important to debrief uh, after a quest, and um, you know, to make sure that there's no quest hangover, so to speak, right, or right. you know, I think it's hard to avoid the quest hangover. <laughs> I, I definitely had that, and really? most people wow. do in some way. Um, it's important to process, and mm. people process differently. You know, some people do do process through debriefing. Uh, through talking it through with others, maybe some people are more internal processors. Maybe some people are writers. Or, you know, I, I do think it's important to think it through one way or another. Mm. So, what's the next unreasonable quest for you? <laughs> the next unreasonable quest. I don't think. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to go to the moon. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to go to like outer space. I mean, probably like a million people have said, like, oh, you know, Richard Branson. He's got this thing where you can go to space. Yeah. You know, like that's awesome. That's cool. But I don't think that's that's me right now. Uh, I think that for me you know, the, the journey was transformative in lots of ways. And one of the ways was in the beginning, I was really focused on myself and I was really focused on doing my own thing mm. and that was fine. But, you know, thankfully throughout the process, so many other people came along to engage and participate and, and be part of this, you know, thing called community, which I really didn't understand before. And I feel like, you know, the next focus, at least for me, not sure how the quest aspect will come into play, but the next focus is definitely on on that community mm. element, um, on helping people live unconventional lives, uh, whatever that looks like for them. And I think hopefully, ultimately, that that will be, as I said, even more meaningful than going to every country or whatever. Interesting. So it's really about serving others to achieve their own quest, mm -hmm. and um, you know, discover that, explore that, and and you know, s create a possibilities for people to do that, which I think is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, so you don't see yourself doing a, a journey or a quest. 
And maybe a different kind. Maybe a different kind. kind. Gotcha. Yeah. Maybe I'll knit 10,000 hats. We'll see. Uh -huh, I like it. Yeah. In two, uh, uh, page 2000, or, sorry, 2000, page 219, I'm looking at it right now. You've got a, a timeline of disasters and pitfalls and mistakes. <laughs> sure. A little graphic, I think is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of good stuff in this book. Um, I want people to make sure to go check this out. Where can they check this out? Where can they go to? Yeah. So they should be able to, to ask for the happiness of pursuit at any bookstore or on Amazon.com. Uh, they can can connect with me at chrisgillibo.com, which no one can ever spell. But <laughs> maybe you can put up a link somewhere. I'll, if they I'll, type in I'll anything, link it up. Uh, yeah, if they type in anything close to it on Google, they'll probably come to me. Sure, yeah. I'll make sure to have it all linked up in the show notes. A um, couple last questions for you. Sure. What are you most grateful for? I'm grateful for a lot of things. I'm most grateful for freedom and independence. I'm most grateful for the ability to to make my own choices and, uh, to not be constrained, you know, by poverty or by choices other people have made. Um, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to make my own choices. What do you feel like is your biggest gift to the world? I really have no idea. That's a tough one. I feel like somebody else has to answer that. <laughs> right? Like, how do you know like, what's your greatest gift to the world? I'm not sure. Mm, okay. And final question then. We'll get back to that. I'll ask other I'll ask other people what your greatest gift of the world is. <laughs> Final question then. It's what I like to ask all my guests at the oh, end. Oh, it's a great question. And it's what is your definition of greatness? Continuously improving your circumstances. Continuously improving your circumstances and the circumstances of others. Maybe always trying to do better. I love it. Chris Gillibo, you are a gem of a human being. I appreciate you. I acknowledge you for taking on your own quest, even as unreasonable and crazy it may sound for a lot of people, and for completing it and for sticking it out and for serving a new world of possibilities for people in a community that is able to take this on in their own life now. So thank you so much for all that you do. The pursuit of the, I wanted to say the pursuit of happiness, the <laughs> happiness of pursuit finding the quest that will bring purpose to your life. Everyone go check it out. I'll have it linked up in the show notes. Awesome read. Highly recommend it. Buy a copy for your friends as well and pass it out specifically to someone who you think doesn't have a purpose in their life yet. So Chris, I appreciate you so much, my man. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Lewis. It's a huge honor. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Chris and make sure to go back to the show notes over at lewishouse.com slash eight nine. You're going to get all the links. You can check out his book, uh, see Chris's site and uh, connect with him over on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and all that good stuff. If you guys haven't yet, please subscribe to us over on iTunes. When you hit the subscribe button uh, in your podcast app, it really helps increase the rankings. It helps uh, spread the message to other people who might be interested in the School of Greatness and its message. So it would mean a huge, uh, it would mean so much to me if you did that. And leave us a review if you have yet to leave a review. I appreciate you guys so much. It means the world to me. I get constant messages from listeners uh, in my inbox and over on Facebook and Instagram from people listening and the difference it's making in their lives uh, by what they're receiving from the guests I bring on. So thank you guys so much for taking the time to send those messages 
And uh, it just really means a lot to me. So I really appreciate it. I post uh, some of them every now and then on Facebook. I'm just so touched by what you guys say and uh, how it's supporting you that uh, it really wants me to just continue to do an awesome job for you guys and continue bringing on incredible guests to share their wisdom with you. And, uh, you know, I'm right there with you. I'm learning along the way as we go. So the questions I ask are questions for me as well. I want to know this information and I want to continue to better myself. And uh, hopefully I get to do that with you guys at the same time. So it means a bunch so much. And uh, I'm very, very grateful and blessed for all of you. Again, thank you guys so much for all that you do for making this show incredible. And um, you guys know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium bang and a Lufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and nada yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.